on, on the flight down last year to El Paso, I sat by this gentleman who grew up in El Paso and he was going back to visit his mom and dad. And this gentleman was probably in his mid sixties. So his parents were, were old and he was going to visit with them. And he, he, he asked me where I was going to El Paso for. And I told him, and he, he talked about when he was growing up, his house and where he lived was, was literally on the border. And, um, and there was no fence, there was not anything. And they would ride their bikes back and forth. You know, they had friends on both sides of the border and, and his friend's parents would come to the States to work and then go back home at night. And some people in the States would go to Mexico and come home and then go back. You know, it was, it was a, we think that if it's a wide open border, everybody's just going to flood in here. Well, I think in reality, if it was an open border, people would stay on, on for the most part on their side and it would, in, it would increase definitely increased the economics on the Mexican side of things because once the wall went up all kinds of violence started erupting if you have your Bibles open them to Amos chapter 5 and I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says I want to see a mighty flood of justice 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 hey everybody I'm pastor Kevin Riggs and I want to thank you for listening to floods of justice a weekly conversation with my guest along with co-host Kevin Sage where we discuss current events from a biblical perspective without the labels. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler podcast network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. With with this new uptick in reports um, from the border, I reached out uh, through some friends of mine and um, and finally got a hold of our guest today and our guest and, and and i actually have met before didn't know it at the time but we have met before and so with us today to t- to help us with uh, this immigration problem and and just kind of give us some insight on what's going on is gustavo um de los rios and he is with the uh abara borderland connection which is a nonprofit uh down on the border in el paso and he is the um, border encounter facilitator and the Juarez shelter uh, connector. And uh, and so welcome, Gustavo. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And well, well, just tell us first of all just a little bit about yourself, you know, um, and yeah. then how long you've been working on this issue. Yeah. So um, I I was born and raised here in El Paso. Um, my whole life has has been, you know. Migration. I mean, my my parents came to the United States years ago uh, before I was born um, and had me here. So, you know, I'm a product of you know understanding why parents want to go somewhere else to you know improve their lives for their children. You know, um, right now um, growing up on the border, you know, you sort of mentioned it earlier. People sort of going back and forth. My life has been that uh, all growing up. I mean. I have family in Juarez. I have family here in El Paso. Uh, so you'll find me in Juarez on the weekends, visiting family. And during the week, I'll be working here. Um, so yeah, no, all my life has been like that. And it's always been really interesting. Something that growing up, I didn't really, I guess, sort of see it as a unique thing until I was older and started seeing, you know, what a unique situation I'm in. And um such a privilege to just be here on the borderline and and just being able to experience that. But um, yeah, that sort of led me into the work that I'm doing now with Abara. Um, so Abara is a nonprofit organization that focuses on immigration education, um, as well as supporting other organizations and or um, shelters who are helping migrants through this journey. Um, and so right now, uh, my position at Abara is, like you mentioned, border encounter facilitator. And so we have border encounters. Um, before the pandemic, we had a whole lot of border encounters where people from different parts of the country would come and to learn about uh, what's going on on the border, what's going on with migration, and just through a lot of different perspectives as far as um, immigration through the Bible, um, you know, hearing from border patrol agents. Um, what's going on here at the border in El Paso and Juarez, as well as checking out like for yourself, like what's going on in Juarez, talking to Mexican government officials on Juarez to see like what they feel and what, like what's going on through their perspective. But 
yeah, that's sort of a recap of uh, what's been going on right now in my life and sort of my upbringings, but yeah. Well, give us, give us a rundown on what a typical day is for you then, uh, either with the border encounters or the shelter connector. I mean, what's kind of a typical day for you? Yeah, so it sort of varies uh, each one. You know, for, for border encounters, usually we'll have a group um, and I'm typically organizing um, along with my colleague, Blanca, she's the other Juarez encounter facilitator. Um, we, we sort of work together and try to figure out um, what's the Juarez side gonna look like as far as like where we're gonna take folks to either like different parts of the border wall, shelters, different government officials in Juarez, um, figure all that stuff out. Um, and then sort of just accompanying the people who are coming to learn, you know, through this like learning experience as far as giving these different talks we also do like immigration 101. Um, I've been starting to take more of a lead in that as well. So doing a brief overview of what immigration law is here in the in the United States, which is a whole other ballpark and super confusing. And, you know, I understand why people think it's just a matter of like, hey, we just need to do this and we'll be fine. But the laws are just all over the place. <laughs> um, and as far as like my Juarez um, shelter connector side, I'm my main job there is to connect with shelters or people who are helping migrants uh, to figure out how to make these connections, first of all, and figure out what is it that they need and, and then seeing if we can fulfill that need or trying to find funding for that need or working with other people to collaborate for those needs. Uh, because uh, us as an organization, we're not looking to open uh, a shelter. Um, that's not in our, that's not part of what we're trying to do. We're trying to strengthen what's there on the ground right now. And there's a lot, there's a lot of people doing amazing things in Juarez. Um, and a lot of it's just supporting these people and um, just in, enforcing the efforts that are already on the ground. Mm -hmm. And and most, at least when I was there, and I assume it's the same way, most of the shelters on the Juarez side are actually churches, right? Yes, it's been, it's been pretty fascinating to see and really encouraging to see even on both sides um you know the the church has been the i mean basically the leading force uh, on this you know as far as hosting people um you know offering a place to stay and we we had the same reaction here in el paso um before the migrant protection protocol went into place um we had a lot of sh uh, local churches that opened up their their spaces to host migrant families who were coming to the border. And then when everything, uh, when migrant protection protocol went into place, um, that's when it all flipped to Juarez and you see the same response of like a lot of different and small churches just opening up their spaces, you know? And something to, to consider is that some of these churches, I mean, a lot of these churches are just churches and they're small little buildings and they're, they're, they don't have the capacity to hold 30, 40 people and host them for nights, you know? Imagine having 40, 50 people in one small place with one bathroom, <laughs> you know, like all that stuff. Like it's, it's pretty complicated, but a lot of people were, had, you know, the heart and were able just to, you know, say, hey, we have a roof. Um, mm -hmm. We have people who are wanting to help and you're more than welcome to stay here if you want. Yeah. Yeah. And if I remember right, at least one of the churches that we went to or one of the pastors that we talked with talked about the churches. Um, at least at the height when it got when it was really really bad they just they canceled all of their all of their services and all their programs basically for the one purpose of housing uh, immigrants and or how you know and there would be so many people they couldn't ask them to leave on a sunday morning so they could have church so basically it was just get rid of the chairs get rid of the pews let's set up beds and 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 um you know our mission and our ministry for however long it's going to take is to minister to these people who need uh, who need more than, um, uh, than it, I mean, it's hard to imagine what all the needs were, but, but I thought that was cool. Cause I, I think when, in the States, we'd probably host you, you know, Monday through Saturday, but Sunday morning, we got to have our church service, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> but they just said, no, this is what we need to do now. And this is all we're going to do. And I, I found that yeah. encouraging. It's been really interesting to see, especially because there's so many different churches who are hosting different denominations mm -hmm. uh, and they all have different ways of running their shelters but uh like you mentioned a whole lot of them ended up sort of dropping whatever they were doing and just hosting 
and being amazing neighbors and hosts to these people who were coming in. Um, well, now explain, know, explain of, how that happened. I mean, cause, cause, you know, explain a little bit about the MPP and really what happened was the, all of a sudden thousands of people were being sent back to Mexico and there was nowhere for them to stay. And so there, this was a crisis, but you know, just uh, briefly, what is the MPP? When did that start and how has that affected things? Yeah. So MPP stands for Migrant Protection Protocol, which went into effect, I believe, about two and a half years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to like check. Mm -hmm. uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, basically, it went into into effect as a. Initially, it was to protect people, um, as the name like you know states, but it really what it was. It, I describe it as, you know, putting you in on like in this like waiting area. Uh, so basically before MPP, you would come into the country, you would request asylum, they would give you a court date uh, and then you would go to that court date later on, go through the process and then you'll figure out whether you get to stay or go. Um, through MPP, basically what it did was that it restricted people coming into the country so instead of coming in and, and asking for asylum, you were turned back. Uh, they, would, they would give you your court date and then they would send you to Mexico. Um, and that was, they send you to Mexico because I believe it was part of like a third, third safe country, if I'm not mistaken. I'd, I'd probably have to go back and check that. Um, mm -hmm. But it was deemed a safe country to go to. Um, and so, and, and they were, the MPP program only was only like facilitated for Spanish speaking countries. So that's why Honduras, Guatemala, and all those other countries were able to, to go there in Cuba as well. You know, we had migrant uh, migrants from Brazil, which speak Portuguese and not Spanish, and are technically not supposed to be in the migrant protection protocol, but somehow were, able, were, were put in it. But basically, I sort of back uh, off track, but basically, when MVP got in place, people were asked to like wait their court cases in, in Juarez. And well, people might argue like, well, what's the big deal? You know, they're just staying somewhere else. The thing is that a lot of the people who were coming from their home countries have contacts, have family here in the US who are able and willing to receive them and take care of them. Um, and the big curveball was that when they were sent back into Mexico, they don't have those contacts. They don't have any contacts in Mexico. Um, and so they were sort of just sort of send off to fend for themselves because no contacts. I mean, mm -hmm. family members are usually all around the US. It's not like they're in the border cities. They're all across the US. And so it's hard to get any help to these people. So um, yeah, it was very damaging um, just to have that program in place because yeah, if i can back um, it if i can back it just a little yeah. bit and again this is just some things that i know and stories that i've heard like if a person's coming and they're and they're um asking for asylum first of all they're coming and presenting themselves at the border they're not sneaking into the border they're they're coming and presenting themselves and saying i, I want asylum and so a lot of times it's because they're they are um running from violence they their family has been threatened or they've had family members killed um, for for various reasons and so and so they come and so um, in the past they would ask for asylum and then as you said they would be sent to um, a family member who lived in the states somewhere um, and that family member would take care of them and now but now what happened under the this policy which we would call you know remain in Mexico uh, kind of thing I guess is what the average person who doesn't live on the border would, would think of it as um, well instead of going and staying with a family they had to go and they had nowhere to go. They couldn't go back home where they were from or else they would be killed. Um, and so you ended up having a bunch of people who had nowhere to go. And then the churches, you know, stepped in and, and uh, uh, try to provide for them. But, um, you know, one of the things that went around is around was that if you let them come to the United States to await their court hearing, the majority of them never show up uh, for their court hearing. Uh, is that true that the majority don't show up if they're in the United States, they don't show up for their court hearing? No, no, that's not, that's not true. Uh, in fact, there's a really high turnout rate for people going to their court hearings. Um, I'd have to like 
but we have numbers like in our office and I can I could go back and send that to you guys but there's actually a high turnout rate for people who are being released in the United States and going to the court hearings because a lot of these people um are families these these aren't people who are just coming into the country just for no reason they they're trying to do this uh the legal way per mm -hmm. se you know like how and you know everybody wants them to do the legal way but then they're trying um except that it's just a long process but no yeah. the turnout rate for people going to the court hearings is it's high yeah i've heard um, anywhere from 80 to 92 or 93 percent actually show up for yeah. their for their court case um yeah and i guess one thing to point out is that just because they they're led into the country doesn't mean that they automatically stay in the country you know these are still court hearings these mm -hmm. are these are still things that are still pending in court and you, they need to figure out whether they have a case to stay in the United States or not. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those people actually were deported too. Like uh, there's also like a good amount of people who were deported back to their countries. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, President yeah. President Obama like hosed the record, doesn't he, of deporting the most, uh, the most people. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet he also had seemed to have a little bit more compassionate um, model as far as entering the country but i think what people need to hear is that it is perfect it is legal and it is part of, and it is constitutionally correct for somebody anyone to come to our border and to ask for asylum there is nothing illegal about that um and that's the proper way um that's the proper way to do it and then you let the courts figure out if the if the asylum is 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 legitimate um or not uh, and so this you know what's been going on to me is just a bunch of fear um, and a bunch of uh, half truths or or uh, half truths or whole lies, whichever way you want to look at it, to try to just keep people. And the majority of them, you know, want to come for a better life. You know, this idea that they're all gang members and all uh, criminals is just is just not accurate. Doesn't mean there's not some of those, but mm -hmm. but the majority of them are. Uh, well, you know, there was a uh, kind of a Christian poster who several years ago said that a person coming through our southern border has a better chance of being an evangelical Pentecostal pastor than he does a gang member, you know? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that statement just because the way I see it, and especially like growing up, I mean, people, I, I mean, especially like people who are in control of those situations, you know, those gang members, they don't want to leave a place where they're in control. Why would they want to come to a place right. where, they don't have any power where they don't have any say. Yeah. You know, the people who are fleeing are because they are being controlled. Yeah. Um, you know, they're being threatened, their lives are in stake. Yeah. You know, and that's a perfectly perfectly good reason to leave your country and try yeah, to so, find help somewhere. Else. So so if they're a gang member, in actuality, they're probably a gang member trying to get out of the gang. Um, and the only way to get out of the gang is really to get to the United States, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, so you're tired. I mean, I, there was a story. I, I told somebody that story because I'd heard the same stories from my Honduran friends. And I told somebody that story that, look, you got a, a person, technically they're a gang member, but they're, they're wanting a better life. And so they come to the United States so they, they won't have to be a gang member anymore. And then they get sent back to their, to their city within a matter of days, they are killed. And not only are yeah. they killed, but they're killed in brutal ways to make as an example of if you're a gang member, don't you dare do this. And I was and then like a, uh, I told a group of people that and then like three days later, there was an, a long article in like the New York Times about a, a person who who was just like that. They were 28 years old, yeah. which is old for a gang member. <laughs> he, you know, that's yeah. And he wanted a better life. He came to the States. Um, and they, de they deported him back and he, he pleaded, if I go back, they're going to kill me. And, uh, he, they sent him back. And within a matter of days, he was dismembered. He was killed and dismembered uh, and left out in the public for everybody to see him. He was from Honduras, which is why it caught my attention. But it's like the stories yeah. that I had heard and the people I had talked to, this is exactly what happened. And I'm thinking as Christians, if that's, we, you know, our hands are bloody, uh, if we think just deport them all, because we don't know. We're not listening to what they say, why they're here, and what's going to happen to them when they get back. Yeah, and I mean, even just to that point, I mean, just to add on to your point, you know, a lot of these people who are even in these gangs have been recruited at a very young age, you know, and a lot for a lot of these people, that's just a, a, a way out in some way because 
Yeah, they didn't have a um, choice. Either, they had to join. They had to become either, a gang member. Either they joined because they, they wanted to, you know, keep them from hurting their family members or even killing them. Or, you know, or just the way or flee. Like, because some people either join or flee, you know, and there's many different circumstances. But yeah, a lot of those people he, who are even in the gangs, you know, a lot of them don't want to be there, but have been recruited at such a young age and don't have a way out. And like you mentioned, you know, they might leave. But even like the policies here in the U.S. for immigration, um, being in a gang, like being affiliated with the gang is such a big red flag. And usually it almost immediately like disqualifies people for any yeah. sort of relief. Um, and so, but we don't know their stories. We don't know maybe why they were in there. Maybe they chose to, maybe they were recruited. And unfortunately sending them back isn't the answer, you know? Yeah. And like you said, yeah, a lot of the times when people get sent back, it's only a matter of time for when you know they, they they get killed or something yeah i think i have a lot more empathy for uh, somebody who may have a gang history in their background than if they have a republican history in their background <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot more judgmental going oh okay I, I, maybe they were forced into the republican party because they were <laughs> raised in it by their family or I, I mean i need to take this advice for myself here so i feel like like our country is so divided on, on so many issues, you know, and, and immigration is one of the biggest. But, you know, I hear you describing the asylum situations and the, and the gang situations. And I, I feel like a huge part of America, especially the evangelical Christian side, lumps everybody in as just an illegal immigrant. They don't even consider the reasons for seeking asylum. You know, it, it feels like they're on this boat. And everybody in the water is in shark infested water in a feeding frenzy trying to get into this boat and they're pushing them back in the water going, no, you're illegal. You didn't buy a ticket to be on this boat mm -hmm. without any consideration of what what they're living in out in in the water there. So it was encouraging for me to hear you say that the churches down there have really united. Is there any division within the churches is there still the response that you know that we're seeing maybe in tennessee or is everybody on the ground there in el paso um are they compassionate and seeing and empathizing and going no no we need to respond and, and care for the immigrants here or is there still some pushback you know like the majority of the like what i've seen is like a great response and a great like welcoming per se I can't speak and say like that everybody has the same opinion. I'm sure there's people who oppose it and I'm sure even people uh, in different churches do. Um, but the majority of the, what I've seen is uh, just people welcoming and genuinely trying to care for these people. Um, and that might just be because I'm hanging around like other people who are helping, but yeah. um, I can say that there's a, a lot of help. There's a lot of people who are genuinely welcoming people in on both sides, you know, not just here, not just there, and Juarez, you know, on both sides, there's a lot of people who care. Pastor Kevin, am I way off? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing in Tennessee? I mean, it almost seems like the polar opposite. Like the norm yeah. out here is what the minority is yeah, the, for Gustavo down there. Yeah, at least in where we live, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt, it's if you can't come legally, don't come at all. Um, and even pastors, and I've had conversations with pastors and, and that have almost ended in arguments because I disagree with them that will say if an illegal immigrant were to come to their church and quote unquote become a Christian, that their advice to them would be to go back to their home country and try to come in legally. And I'm like, well, no, no, you know, we're not, we're not obligated to obey unjust laws. Um, and some of these laws are, um, uh, are not, are not just at all, especially if by going back to the country, you would, um, <clears throat> you would be killed. And unfortunately, there's been studies that show that um, the most intolerant immigration people um, are evangelical Christians. Um, you know, when they when they break out into the groups of the different percentages of who want now everybody wants um, immigration reform, and there, and I think every the goal would be that everybody needs to come legally, but instead of making that difficult, you need to make it easy. You know, the easier. Uh, the better and so and then for people who have been in the states um <clears throat> for quite some time illegal and i hate that word illegal i mean I, I, undocumented may be better because nobody is illegal i mean you're a human being so there's no you know there's a documented immigrant and an undocumented immigrant 
So if you're doc, if you're undocumented, you know, well, there needs to be a path to citizenship um, because again, the majority of these people um, are hardworking people. The same people, Kevin, who who are in the churches complaining about um, illegal immigration, if they own property for rentals, they're the same people who want uh, Hispanics to rent their property because and if they're illegal you can you're going to get if if an, if an illegal undocumented immigrant is renting your property they're going to pay on time in cash because they don't want they don't want any attention drawn to themselves so the same people who are saying no don't come here will be the first ones to put them in their uh rental units because they know they're going to get um you know and, and they'll be the first ones to hire them because because if they're undocumented then you can hire them and pay them less money than than what they uh what they deserve so it's like everything else it becomes uh, hypocritical um and um yeah up here what you hear a lot gustavo is you know the idea of sanctuary city being a bad thing and mm -hmm. and um you know and and everybody needs to uh <clears throat> you know that everybody needs to come in the legal way but without realizing that sometimes that's next to impossible or you tried it the legal way you got sent back to mexico so the next time you do it you're going to come in um, an illegal way. And if you've got enough money, um, you can pay somebody to get you anywhere in the United States safe and sound, you know, yeah, and, and it, and basically like, live hidden the rest of your life. Yeah. And even just like you mentioned, like just the legal way, I think uh, for a lot of those people who are saying like, well, why don't they just come the legal way? I think for those people, I would like encourage like for you to find out what the legal way is. Mm -hmm. You know, like I get educated in that aspect, um, you know, because uh, our immigration laws are a mess. Um, and even with this new with with MPP, there was no clear way of like what the legal way was. Mm -hmm. Things were always changing. People consistently trying to do it the legal way, but we're told no, no, no. It's everything was inconsistent. So. For me, it's always important just for for people just to sort of like try to get those answers themselves. You know, like if they're saying like, "Well, come here legally." Well, what is the legal way? Like, do a little like research, and then there's a lot of organizations that are willing to help with that. Um, there's a lot of resources online. Um, the USCIS um, website has a lot of. Um, I mean, they have all their forms, all their documents, and all their procedures. I mean, it's just a difficult. To, uh, process it's it's not just a black and white answer like it's not just a black and white it's just, like it's it's very complex um and it's something that i would hope like more people would like get encouraged to like learn about and see what what we're sort of like trying to say like this are you know these laws aren't doing it for us right now and it's not doing it for anybody no it's not know? it's harming everybody and and again, this is anecdotal because I, you know, but the the immigrants, undocumented immigrants, both documented and undocumented that I've talked with <clears throat> will tell you if they had their way, they would like to go back home. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, they would they don't want to stay here. Um, I, you know, someone put it this way. We as as people in the United States, we think that, that immigrants are trying to get here because we're the promised land. When in reality, we're Egypt. <laughs> And they're just trying to escape danger. And as soon as the danger is over with, they would they they want to go, uh, they want to go back home. And um, and so, you know, we, we it's not what if, if you don't know if it's like anything else proximity. If you don't know people who are involved yeah. in this, and you haven't heard their stories, and you haven't walked at least a few steps in their shoes, you know, and seen what it is they're trying to escape from, um, then it's and then see what a mess it is. Uh, down there um you know because i mean we have i have close friends who are right in the middle of a messy immigration um and live thing right now and they're in tennessee and, and live with this kind of constant fear that at any given moment something could happen and and uh for no fault on their own and, and they could you know and they could get deported because the immigration system is such such a mess and uh and no one wants to if you're new to Floods of Justice, welcome, and be sure to check out our Season 1 episodes on systemic racism, social justice, mass incarceration, and more. 
If you'd like to connect online, you can visit us at www.floodsofjustice.org. Find us on Facebook or engage with Dr. Kevin Riggs directly on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. That's R-I-G-G-S underscore K-E-V-I-N. And now, back to our conversation. We are here with Gustavo de los Rios from uh, El Paso in an organization called Abara Borderlands Connections. And, uh, we've been talking about the, uh, the immigration situation along our southern border. And uh, we're going to shift and, and talk a little bit about uh, unaccompanied minors and all that. But I, I did want to touch on the, the website for your organization is abarafrontiers.org. Yes, abarafrontiers.org. And if you go there, you'll see there's a there's a tab for these encounters, which is uh, Gustavo's official title is a border encounter facilitator. So every everything that you're hearing about today, if you want to go and and live it firsthand and see, you need to go to their website here and contact Gustavo and set this up. And and we're going to continue the discussion here. But there, you know, like like Pastor Kevin says. He's, he has firsthand experience in talking with immigrants seeking asylum and, and immigrants from other countries. And if you don't have that firsthand experience, in my opinion, you really can't form a proper opinion on, on the subject. So I, I commend you, Gustavo, for what you're doing down there. I would love to go down and, and experience one of the encounters. So if, if anybody listening is interested in the same thing, go to it's Abara Frontiers, A-B-R-A, frontiers with an s at the end.org and check that out and gustavo if you would one of the things that i mean i think people get confused about uh, is they hear unaccompanied minors i don't know if you saw the the one video that was all over the news that that showed um uh, the people on the mexico side of the border i'm not sure if it was in el paso or if it was on in the brownsville area or somewhere else where they dropped the two kids on the other side of the fence did you see that video and there was like a two-year-old. It was like a two-year-old yeah. and a three-year-old, and um, and you know people talk about how horrible that was, and I, and I try to tell them, well, first of all, the uh, the coyotes who did that knew that they'd probably be on camera and be picked up just like that, so that you know, um, and so it wasn't like they were just dropping them and they were going to die. They I think they knew uh, what would happen. It's still a horrible situation, but yeah. you have those unaccompanied minors, and then you then you have stories of of the administration taking children away from their parents and, and then putting them in these cages and are, are they really cages or are they just overcrowded, um, you know, facilities. And so there's all kinds of stuff going on about unaccompanied minors and what happens to them and the living conditions that they're in. And so just, you know, what's, what's your take on all that and maybe some of the differences between the last three administrations, Obama's administration, Trump's yeah. administration, and now Biden's administration. The main thing would to point out would be that, you know, these detention facilities aren't meant to hold people uh, for fam family members. They're meant for single adult males. And if you could backtrack like, years before, like even during the Obama administration and before, the main people who were coming to our borders were single adult males. Um, so these facilities facilities are very much tailored to those that um, that group of people when when we started getting a mass influx of family units, um, moms, dads, children, these facilities aren't meant to hold and um, keep people for long, long periods of time in those facilities. So you'll see a lot of these facilities being <clears throat> flooded and like just they don't have the enough capacity to hold all these people. Um, one of the main things I think to point out when it comes to these different administrations is like motives or like the intentions um, because the previous administration under the zero tolerance um, policy was to rip families apart, rip children from their biological parents and or legal guardians. And something to understand when, when they're talking about unaccompanied minors, um, what an unaccompanied minor is or what I guess what they define a parent as is a legal guardian or biological um, parent, either mom or dad. So a child might not be coming necessarily alone. They might be coming with an older brother, with a cousin, with a grandma. Um, but since they're not their biological mom or dad, and they're not their legal guardian, they they might come with a family member, but they are considered unaccompanied due to the policies, due to our policies. 
So that's where they would be taken away. Now, was that the policy as far back as Obama as well, or did it change under Trump and Biden just continued it or, or, or what? I that's something that's been in place for, for a while in our policies. Like that's what they define a, a parent okay. as. Um, but at, again, I have to go back and check um, just time frame. But that that is the situation right now. That's what a parent or legal guardian is. And the, those who are the people who have legal custody of children. And so under the previous administration, under their zero tolerance um, policy, they were basically um, taking away children from their legal guardian guardians and if not like their actual biological parents um, it wasn't they weren't being taken away from from aunts or uncles or even older siblings they were being taken away from their actual biological parents and which that was just very i mean horrible a horrible experience for everybody just super traumatic for the children i can't imagine yeah, and even after they were told, even after they were told to stop doing that, they they continued to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. It took a while until it finally came to a halt. I'd have to double check um, more or less when they did stop, but it, it took a while um, until it just started making a lot of noise in the media, and it, it took a while. It took too long. It, that's something that should have never happened, um, but it was something that was, I believe, put in place just to. I don't know, almost as an example, you know? Yeah. So today an unaccompanied minor may be taken away from their brother or cousin, but they're not taken away from their parent or guardian. Correct. Yes. Um, because unfortunately that's how our laws are. Yeah. Um, a, a grandma or anybody who doesn't have legal custody cannot be responsible for, for a child. Um, so unfortunately that you still see that happening, but uh, if their parents are with them or if they're with a legal guardian, then that 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 won't happen. Yeah. But yeah, I guess. And then right now, I'm just sort of going into like your previous question about like just the facilities right now and people being like the living situations. I mean, I think just sort of backtracking and sort of talking about like just how they're not prepared for those uh, situations is that right now it's hard to say like as far as like with the unaccompanied children who are arriving at our borders and who are being placed into these like so-and-so like cages and whatnot you know like the difference was like under the trump administration it was about zero tolerance like almost said an example of like, this was going to happen under this administration it's literally that all the detention facilities are over capacity and especially with with covid right now i mean you know it's it's a big danger to have so many children in one place like that um and that's i mean that's something that should be addressed in the detention facilities, I think. I don't know, like something that they're just not prepared for. And I understand like why sort of this is happening. But I guess like my what I'm trying to say is that nobody was ready for that, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the like the the resources like are still haven't been put there to like help reduce numbers or help minimize those things, you know. Right now there's in El Paso, we have Fort Bliss, our military base. And right now they're opening up the military base to host uh, migrant children, unaccompanied children. Right now, I believe there's gonna, they have a capacity for 500, or at least they, they, they've set up for 500 unaccompanied children with potentially expanding up to 5,000 unaccompanied children. Um, and I think, just the main difference is that they're just trying to, I feel like they're trying to unclutter the just the massive amount of people who are coming, you know, and, and that are in the, these detention facilities, because right now we're in a pandemic. And I mean, it's, it's dangerous to have people in the, a lot of people in the same place. But I mean, it's also a big red flag that it's in a military base, that they're, you know, they're not, they're sort of far away, you know, they're, it seems like they're doing a good job as far as taking care of them, but there's just there's still there's still its pros and cons, and I think it's something that hmm. we just won't find an answer to right now. Now, have have you seen? I mean, everybody talks about the increase. Have you seen the increase since the Biden administration uh, took over? So, like since January, have more people of all ages been been coming than May of the previous year or two? What I have seen is people still coming. Um, okay. 
I wouldn't necessarily be able to say that like, I've seen more. Um, I mean, there's so many people coming. A few, a few thousand more doesn't yeah. seem to make a difference, right? Yeah. The thing is, like, people are still coming. Um, the only difference is, is that right now, because of the pandemic, we have Title 42, which is this um, law that basically uh, was set in place, I think, even over like 100 years ago, was like a sort of a precaution for some sort of health related um, issue to like not to sort of even like just close our border down. And I'd have to like sort of go back, but I believe it was over 100 years ago that was set in place. So we're following this policy that was over 100 years in place. Right now, you know, when, Bi when the Biden administration came in, they opened up a way for the people in the migrant protection protocol to start um, slowly coming into the country and, and waiting their court cases here, mm -hmm. which that was a big win. You know, people were super happy about that. You know, they're finally after, you know, some of them over two years have been waiting in Juarez are now finally across and are waiting for their cases in, you know, in the United States. Um, so on one hand, on the one hand, you have like this extreme like joy, this happiness that, you know, people are coming in. On the other hand, you have people who are subject to Title 42 who, because of this, are being returned um, returned to, to Mexico and are, of course, like, they're, they're just basically being returned and um, are, right now, there isn't a way for them to ask for asylum. Like, there, there really isn't a proper way to even do so. Right now, basically, it's almost saying, like, we're closed down for the, the we're closed, almost to put it like simple terms, like like we just sort of closed it off and that's it. And so it's sort of, it, it's, it feels weird because it sort of feels like we've sort of even like backtracked in a way where we're, we're sort of back to square one, if not worse, because these people aren't even given the chance to seek asylum. Like these people don't have court dates. They don't have anything. They were just returned and they're still being returned. Like right now, they're not accepting any new asylum cases. Right now, they're only focusing on the people who have already and who are waiting in Mexico. Okay, so right now, if you're asking for asylum, it's just an automatic no, go back to Mexico. Yeah, I'm an automatic no, yeah. And unless, no, at least with the Title 42, unless it's a minor, minors may not yeah. be automatic. Yeah, unless you're a minor, you're able to seek asylum, but any other reason, nope, like you're returned. And it's, yeah, it's just a very horrible situation that we didn't, expect to be and after this previous administration so that's why there's a lot of you know fight going on to you know get rid of this policy because like you mentioned before you know everybody should have the right to you know mm -hmm. seek asylum you know if their life depends on yeah. it you know they should they should have the right you know so in some ways things have gotten worse under this administration than the previous administration in some ways maybe better but in some ways it's gotten worse yeah yeah and i it's I just think that it's something that in order to see significant change and positive change, it needs to be through the legislation. Yeah. It just can't be a president just giving executive orders. Yeah. You know, those are almost empty promises. I, I would dare to say just because uh, they're only there until he's there and who knows what the next administration is going to say, you know, it, yeah. it's good for certain things. You know, I know uh, at the beginning of his, of his term, they, they, he signed an executive order to assign a task force to reunite the people, mm -hmm. the, 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 kid, the, the children who were separated from their, from their parents under yeah. the uh, zero tolerance policy. So that was great. Uh, and that was necessary for that moment uh, because they needed action right now. But for long-term uh, immigration, there, there does need to be a reform that yeah. completely of our laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, like everything else in the States, it's become so politicized that no one yeah. really wants to look at what true reform would look like. Because you, you got to think, you, I, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but you got to think that, okay, we are smart enough to come up with a better way of handling this, you know, but the problem is, you, you, you know, if the Democrats are in power, the Republicans don't want them to get the credit for solving it. And the Republicans are in power. The Democrats don't want to get them credit for solving it. And so they stand in each other's way. Um, and, uh, and it just, and it, and it hurts the most marginalized among us. And one of the things I want to say earlier, you know, you, 
you know, the Bible's clear. Um, you know, the Old Testament mentions four groups of people were to take care of, and uh, and what it basically is the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. And then Jesus, in his parable of uh, sheep and goats, uh, mentioned very clearly that you welcome the stranger, and that's how that's how you know that you're a sheep instead of a goat. And uh, and the whole idea is, at least in the Old Testament, you're you were a foreigner in a strange land. And so treat the foreigner like you wanted to be treated. And then as Christians, we are simply travelers or sojourners in this land. This world is not our home. And so in essence, we're all immigrants to a, to a degree. Um, and so we are to treat um, immigrants as if we were immigrants ourselves, because in essence, we are. Um, and then, of course, Jesus says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. So, I mean, that, that, should, be, that should be all, you know, it's okay if I'm an immigrant coming fleeing poverty fleeing violence fleeing the threats of death and i can get to the states or i can send my kids to the states you know if i was that person how would i want to be treated once i got to the border and as a follower of jesus then that's how we are to treat them because that's how we want to be treated and right now we're not treating them like we want to be treated we're treating them as if they're less than human uh, almost yeah and and I think you hit like, you know, the nail on the head with that last statement, you know, we got to remember that these people are people, you mm -hmm. know, you know, and a lot of these people, many times I put my, my faith to shame mm -hmm. just due to like, you know, how much like these people are, you know, solely relying on God, <laughs> you know, through this part of their journey yes. have taught me so much, you know, and, and it's just incredible to see that, you know, how these people who are even like i said have put my faith to shame are, are just being treated less than yeah. just because they're from another country but we need to like for me it's just like a matter of like we need to i don't know how we're, we're gonna do it because we're such a big country with with just over politicizing everything mm -hmm. um but we need to stop doing that and just start seeing the humanity in it because i think something that i've seen is like when we have border encounters, it's just like, I think people being able to put the faces to these issues um, is a big difference. It's, you know, finally put it, being able to put a face on, on an illegal immigrant. Like that might be like a seven year old child, you know? And, and seeing how that actually, like the reality, you know? You know, I think nowhere in the Bible does talk about an illegal alien or something, you know? We just hear about people. You know, I think the main thing is just remembering we're, we're all people. We shouldn't be, be, we shouldn't be treated as less, you know, and that's something so big, like so common, like, so, I don't know, I would say like so basic, but it's something that needs to be, re, you know, reminded of because there's a lot of these people who have, I mean, I've heard many stories, you know, working for Abara, you know, so many stories, you know, that they've gone through these horrible journeys just to get here. And this one particular story, like I've heard of this man who came from, I believe, Honduras, went through this whole journey to get up here, was, you know, beaten during like his excursion. And finally getting here, he went through all this trouble, through all this mess, and what like did it for him, what like just, what sort of destroyed his like motives to come here was just the treatment of how he was treated here in the U.S. by, you know, these officers, you know, it wasn't like him be beating, beating or like tortured. It was the treatment from somebody who was in a year in the U.S. and, you know, bordering the border from like our, you know, ICE and all those different agencies, you know, which is amazing to me just because I've heard many stories of these people who are being treated horribly in these detention facilities mm -hmm. who would you'll you'll hear this a lot if you talk to a lot of enough people that they feel like they're being treated like dogs mm -hmm. in these detention facilities and it's horrible you know like and that's that's like you know a big thing is just you know remembering these these people are people you know this isn't just like a political issue you know stop seeing it like that like start seeing the humanity you know gustavo i, I appreciate the conversation today it's you know it's one of those things that we'll need to keep talking about uh, until we have a solution and stop talking and start doing.
Is there anything, um, you know, I know on the website, you can do donate directly to Avara. Is there anything, if somebody's out there saying, all right, how can I get involved? How can I support effectively and not just, you know, virtue signaling? What can they really do to make a difference right now for, for some of these people, these human beings that need our help? Yeah, you know, I think the main thing that I always encourage everybody to do is, is get educated in the topic. I, I think everybody, any everybody needs to be educated more in, in this topic. And um, it's something that is consistently changing. Um, because once you do that, you're able to understand the situation more. Um, but aside from just educating yourself, um, there's also, like you mentioned, donating to our websites, uh, to our organization or other organizations who are doing the same work on the border. Um, we have different ways that you can get involved as far as like volunteering. I know we've had even like translating um, groups for people who need documents tra translated for their cases. Um, if you get in contact with us, we're, we're more than happy to find something for you to do. Um, but there's also, we have our Amazon wish list, uh, which, which is posted on our website, which are, these are donations um, from like shoes to baby formula to, to uh, diapers. Um, that will be sent to uh, shelters and or other organizations who are helping migrants who desperately need these uh, resources. Mm -hmm. But it's, it should be like in our website. And if you have any questions or about how to get involved more efficiently or anything, um, you guys are always free to contact us. I'll throw this out there. We'll see, this may get me in trouble, Kevin, but if there, if there were like maybe 12 people who wanted to have a border encounter, contact me and we could get a group of 12 is a good size, right? Right, Gustavo. I believe so. Right? I, I need to double check, but I know right now we're we're currently taking um, border encounters. Yeah, I have to double check on the numbers. Okay. Um, but um, yes, right now we're currently taking uh, border encounters again, like with our precautions and everything. Yeah, but is twelve people a good size? Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, there's twelve people who want to go. Maybe you know we could put something together uh, late summer, early fall. And uh, go down and and, yeah. and we'll request Gustavo. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll. I'll be happy to receive. You, that's for sure. Yeah, they're always just contact welcome. us. I think everybody knows how to contact me. Or just you know, or put something you know on the message uh, on the podcast, or you know, my email is Kevin at FranklinCommunityChurch.org. Send me a private message or something. And, and man, yeah, if we could get twelve people together, I would assume with airlines and everything, it would be somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred apiece, probably. Uh, that's just a guess, but because uh, um, it's way too far to drive, so so we'd have to. Yeah. Fly. And uh, um, but yeah, if we could get twelve people who are interested in going, we might put something together and come down there and see you. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler.